0: Hi, this is Tamsin Granger.
1: This is Dan Abihuha. It's Sunday. Yeah.
0: March uh, 7th, 2021. (laughs) And uh, we're here with Tamsin and Dan Read the
1: Paper. That's right. That's where we are. And we're Tamsin and Dan. So we're off to a good start.
0: Yeah. Once again. So, uh, you know, uh, the onslaught of birthdays continues. Uh, You know, we forgot last week to mention. Yes. Uh, not only my birthday, but but uh, Nico's dad, yeah. Oscar Yasbon.
1: We may not have been aware.
0: Uh, his birthday was last week, same right. day as mine. Mm-hmm. And um, although he, I'm sure he's quite a bit younger. Definitely looks younger.
1: <sighs> Many people are. Um, yes.
0: And then uh, tomorrow would have been your father's birthday.
1: Yeah. 99. Right. So next he year have we'll been. have a big celebration. The 100th and my friend Nancy
0: Ferguson's birthday, March 8th. Mm-hmm. And we got uh, Mark Snyder's birthday coming up. Next weekend, so uh, you know the fun continues. Mm. Right. Now, I, you know, I got to mention the, the cake you made for me on my birthday was
1: uh, amazing. People won't won't think they heard this correctly. I did bake tams a cake
0: with icing.
1: Yes, I have the I have an the ex- works. Yes, I have an expert uh, who finds the right recipe for me, namely Sadie. And, uh, you know, of course, Sadie being Sadie, found me an extremely challenging recipe. But uh, I came through, I thought, with flying colors. Didn't right. And, and after
0: uh, several hours of cleaning up the kitchen. The
1: kitchen is covered with chocolate. <laughs> and You know, I will just, for, the, for all you newbie bakers out there, uh, you know, you make the cake first and you think you're, you're on your way. And let me tell you, there's one big problem, and that's called the icing. Uh, The the icing is a huge headache. At least this was in this cake. Much tougher than the cake. So uh, you got to think of alternatives there. Just a little word to the wise.
0: Now everyone knows. Now everyone knows. Well, the next time you do this, you should probably make a video so that uh, people can uh, be enlightened.
1: You think so? Yeah. Follow
0: Mm. your good example.
1: Okay. Okay. I'll think about that next year. Uh, so we, what did we do? We saw a movie this week, uh, out of the blue, out of the blue. uh, Not
0: exactly out of the blue. No.
1: Not at all out of the blue. So we're watching. We, we have been,
0: we, 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 as in you, me, Granger, Nico, have been obsessed with Call My Agent. Others too. The French
1: show. The French show.
0: And the tricky thing about that is it, uh, has cameos from... It's popular. Of, it has cameos in in the show right. from popular, yeah. current, French,
1: cultural icons. French actors, French actual French actors appear in Call My Agent, and they yeah. speak French. Well, because ca- everyone speaks French in the show. Musicians and people
0: too. All all it's kinds it, of uh, yeah, yeah but mostly mostly actors, okay? right? And we are always in the dark. We're often in the dark. No,
1: you know, I'm I'm on top of it as usual. I mean,
0: sometimes you know, like Juliette Binoche. Okay, yeah, I got that right. Got away. that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, and we got this one.
0: And we got this one.
1: And it was Jean Dujardin.
0: But the only reason we got it is because of uh, that film he
1: made, right? <laughs> yes. Well, here, so here, this tells you everything. What was it called? Well, let me, let me, let me A repeat. silent film? Yes. Let me repeat the conversation. So Granger says, I know that guy. That's the guy from OSS 117. And I say, I don't know what you're talking about, but that's the guy who was the lead actor in The Artist, uh, the movie that won Best Actor, for which he won the movie won best picture for which he won best actor and the director won best director in 2011 i didn't have the 2011 at the tip of my tongue but that was a tremendous movie uh largely a silent movie um but we were both right as is sometimes the case uh because before jean dujardin uh made this uh, momentous picture american uh, picture the artist no i don't know Yarnes is not American? I think it's considered a French picture. I don't know. We can argue about that. It's a French director. It's Michael, uh, excuse me, Hazanavisius. And and here's what you have to know. Michael Hazanavisius made uh, two films with Jean de Joran, at least two. Uh, And in each case, uh, they also had in it uh, Véronisse Bejo, who is the actress- who is the uh, the one was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for The Artist, and she's also in OSS 117. So let, let me go back to that movie. For
0: okay, a you're right. It's considered a French right. comedy drama.
1: According to Wikipedia, no lesser authority than Wikipedia, that movie is... Really?
0: Must you give away my sources? ...is
1: the most uh, awarded French film of all time. The Artist. Which is saying something, because French cinema... Uh, has a very uh, substantial history. Uh, but he, but this is the weird thing. Before they made the artist, uh, they being the director, uh, Michael hassan uh, Jean de Chardin, and Berenice Peugeot, who, by the way, is married to the director. Before they made that picture, they made this one. They made this movie called OSS-117, uh, Cairo, Nest of Spies. They made that in 2006. And that is a parody, if you will, uh, a comedy, uh, you know, uh, in some ways... Um, a, a,
0: kind of a, a satire of... Uh, uh, James Bond film. Yeah.
1: Right? And it's... So uh,
0: OSS-117 is his... is the uh, French spies code name. It is. Right? And it's also the like, name... Right. Like 007. O- 07. And yeah. in
1: fact, there is... OSS-117, Cairo Nest of Spies is based on a series of books by an author named Jean Bruce. Uh about this character, OSS-117. They were straight uh, suspense uh, novels like the James Bond So they're novels. just basic but this spy
0: is, thriller right.
1: things? Right, but this movie is goofing on it. Yeah. So we're watching this, Jean De Genin, uh play a goofy character right. uh, doing a takeoff on uh, James Bond uh, in this film. And uh, it's funny, right? Mm-hmm. It's funny. Uh, so we recommend it. I mean, but it, 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 it's not—it's not the artist, right? And 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 of course, what I'll just say this because it's just so remarkable. One well, its movie, very camp. Yeah, it's very camp. It, it's like uh, mm, a shot in the dark. It's like a Pink Panther movie, really. Right. Yeah, the Peter Sellers movies, uh, made by Blake Edwards. So, uh, it's goofy. It's funny. It's over the top, but it's light. Mm. And the first thing that strikes you, of course. Is not only the same director, same act, it's the same team that five years later makes this extremely prominent, formidable film called The Artist that everyone takes quite seriously. And again, the f- best friends film ever. So it's, it's it's interesting that that same group can make two different types of movies completely. And um, and now putting aside The Artist, just watching the uh, the spy movie for what it is,
0: it's fun. So that was funny that Granger came up with that.
1: Yes, but uh, it's and funny he
0: had seen it. Yeah.
1: Did he see it in the movies? Uh, no, he didn't. He said he saw it 15 I told, years no, ago. I, yeah, but he saw it on video. Uh, okay. But uh, I don't know how widely it was released in the U.S. True. There's no reason it would have been. Yeah. But what's funnier, too, is I'm sitting there next to Granger and Granger saying, Ah, that's the guy, Jean Dujardin, and that goofy spy takeoff. And I'm saying, no, no, that's the guy Jean Dujardin in this serious extremely serious, artist. profound film <laughs> called The Artist. It was made ten years ago, and we're both right. So um and so how do you find such a film, you might wonder? Uh, if, if your son is saying it's a uh, vague name, it, it, it's, it's called the uh, Nest of Spies, Curl I mean Nest how of to Spies. Find it to watch. How do you find it to watch it? And yeah. the answer we have for you the answer is I know you can get on your phone and fuss around with it, but we all but know that there's some the, frustrations. The
0: streamlined
1: way. Yes. Here's the streamlined way. Uh, and it's brought to you by a woman who writes the, tech column for the uh, technology column for the Times uh, named uh, Shira Ovid. Uh, It's a weekly column. I usually don't get too much out of it, but her first paragraph uh, this week said, quote, I have two essential pandemic companions, Cheese and a website called Just Watch. And I'm not going to talk about Cheese. Just Watch is what you use. You just put in justwatch.com and you put in the title of, of the film that you have in mind, in this case, Cairo Nest of Spies. And it tells you definitively and correctly exactly where and how you can stream it, which doesn't sound like an amazing thing, but, but it it's kind handy. of is. It's, oh, it's, it's amazing. Handy. It's amazing because but there's first so you much you got to figure out the title. You, you, can, you get a few words in the title, you got it. OK? Uh, OSS 117 would have been enough to get the film. All right, in this so, case. so write that down. Yeah, Justwatch.com. Tips from Tammy. Yes. And then that's the place to get it. Uh, and. Uh, So we recommend that film. We kind of enjoyed it.
0: Okay, like a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, the serendipitous finding of a Jacob Lawrence painting that was part of a series. Okay, Jacob Lawrence, as in, you know, the terrific uh, African-American artist who did various uh, series, including one called The Struggle from... The history of the American people, and uh, it was uh, on view at uh, the Metropolitan. It's traveling around, and, um, and somebody on the Upper West Side recognized, uh, kind of the work to some extent. Realized these people on the Upper West Side realized they had one of the missing paintings from that series. The series originally had. Uh, 30 panels Mm -hmm. uh, telling the story of America from a very sort of diverse uh, point of view. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of them are missing. And uh, so these people figured out they had one on their wall. Well, so that was pretty amazing. Now, um, a few blocks away, a nurse living on the Upper West Side, this is just recently, um, well, in the fall, uh, checked. An app, one of those neighborhood bulletin apps, and uh, saw the story mm. about the Jacob Lawrence painting, you know, that was discovered. And uh, guess what? What? Okay, the um, paintings looked familiar. The name rang a bell for her. This Jacob Lawrence name. She's a nurse. She came to the U.S. Uh, from the Ukraine when she was eighteen, mm. and uh, she realized that. The painting, a painting her mother-in-law had given her, which hangs uh, in the hall near the kitchen, um, was actually a Jacob Lawrence painting. All right, yeah. And even her mother-in-law had pasted a New York Times article about Jacob Lawrence on the back <laughs> of the painting. Yeah. Okay. Right. So she thinks she's got something. She tells her son, yeah. her son says, yeah, you know, um, that looks at, uh, they were able to, he went online to the Met exhibition and they could, they had, uh, like an old, not very clear photograph hanging up in place of panel 28. Right. Okay. And that was the one that resembled the one she had. She calls the Met She uh, leaves her name for the curators. Nobody responds. She waits and waits. And so finally her son, uh, um, I guess, pops her on uh, the motor scooter. And they go over to the Met and go to the information desk. And ah. tell
1: them the deal.
0: Yeah, we have a so, famous painting. Yes. Right. And uh, so the curators, you know, come down to the information desk. They say, well, if you can just show us the painting. Right. And, of course, they can because her son's there. He's got a picture of it on the phone. Right. And they show them and they say, hmm. Mm. And later that night, the curators are over at the apartment looking at the painting. Right. And, indeed, uh, it appears to be the missing panel 28. Now, you know, when these were first exhibited... Um, as a series, uh, they couldn't uh, the dealer representing uh, Jacob Lawrence couldn't get anybody interested in buying the series, okay. Um, public institutions weren't receptive to this expansive and racially integrated narrative of American history in the 1950s, okay? So this dealer, Sells it all to another guy who, you know, breaks up the set. He's selling some here, selling some there. And we think that a bunch, you know, several of the paintings went to this, uh, you know, uh, Christmas uh, charity art auction. And so when one ended up uh, with that, uh, the Shays' rebellion one ended up with that one couple, and perhaps uh, this uh, person's mother in law or somebody else, right? Somebody else could pass passed it on. Yeah. Um, and uh, she, you know, she said I, she couldn't have paid more than hundred dollars for it, uh, you know. But you know, who really knows? Now there is a guy, Harvey Ross, who collects these paintings, who is collecting the um, panels that are out right. in public, right? And he's always very excited when one comes up. The last one he bought was, I think, in 2018. No, 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 no. Uh, he bought, snapped up, when was this? Uh, might have been about uh, 2000, 2018. He paid about 400000 mm-hmm. for that panel. So that gives you an idea of the market value. Right. so this is worth 400000 So this was, first of all couple of interesting things it was in bad shape oh, okay, okay? had to be restored a little bit right. and uh, it seems to be that um, uh, certain colors of the he must have used uh, they say certain there were uh, some brand of paint was not good they see this across paintings in the 1950s of some reds and browns that are, are flaking off um, so they had it conserved uh, some of the museums that uh, this exhibition right. is traveling so to Seattle and then to the Phillips Collection. And there they helped uh, uh, finance the conservation of it uh, very carefully. Um, and then uh, what else did I want to say about it? Oh, uh, it's funny. In the uh, description of the painting itself, it's a man and two women. The man is uh, has a broad-brimmed hat. The women are kind of cloaked. Uh, And the man's holding something, and he's described as holding what seems to be an some sort of book, perhaps a prayer book. Okay, turns out if you look at the actual painting, he's holding a flower pot Mm -hmm. with a single red rose. And uh, speculation is that it has something to do with the idea, since the rose is the national, uh, the official flower of the United States, that it has you know something to do. With the sort of tender hope, optimism, fragility of this uh, new life, etc. So, anyway, so that's pretty exciting. Um, I I feel happy uh, for this nurse I think this, she's this gonna like
1: a, make a bundle this is like an antique roadshow everybody's gonna be happy they found it. there's road still show.
0: paintings out there right?
1: yeah so come on people all she had to do was go to like Check antiques roadshow uh, bayonne and show up with the painting and uh, they but would these things
0: could so easily get thrown out you know yeah. you have the old paintings yeah. uh, from your parents or your grandparents and you say oh that's not too interesting well, you know we have what am I gonna do with that then, we had that toss-up. Bruegel
1: that my parents had which turns out was a print was not an original that was disappointing. Anyway.
0: But I think you basically assume that uh, your parents don't have major works of yes, art. Yes, I think in my and case, sometimes, I was
1: correct. Sometimes they do. Uh, I'm not familiar with that experience, but if you say so. There's still time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so there were two interesting obituaries that would, popped up in today's paper on the same page, on uh, the clear blue. Um, and, uh, they're just fascinating. I mean, uh, one is a fellow named David Mintz, um, who, uh, had, well, there are two things about David Mintz, at least two things that are fascinating. One is he had sort of a takeout, uh, uh operation in the, uh, fifties or sixties in, uh, Manhattan and, um, kosher, kosher, strictly kosher. One day a 90 year old woman comes in and to uh, get a job, uh, as a cook and he tried her uh, noodle as We used to call it luxen kugel, and that's exactly what she had. It was fantastic. And um, after he, that, he only, only hired grandmothers. grandmothers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's a great idea. I mean, just, I like the story of his name.
1: Uh, what's the
0: story of his name? That when he's born, yeah, is he born in the U.S.?
1: Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, he um, oh, it's Dovid or something, right? No
0: well, his, when his mother says the name, the nurse doesn't quite get it. Yeah. and she thought he looked more like a Donald anyway. Yeah. So she gives, she calls it, she gives on the birth certificate it says Donald. Oh, really. But uh, he goes by David. Well, or he's, he's
1: you know, he, he was clearly quite observant. Uh, and so they open up and so his restaurant, which is now filled with all these grandmothers, uh, babushkas, as they call them. clean uh, up a story. Quite well because it turns out these are the people you hire to cook kosher food in particular. So that's great. But they have one, uh, at least one huge constraint they're operating under as part of the kosher laws. And that is that you can't have meat with milk, which is why you are limited in terms of uh, what desserts. Kind of d- desserts you can see. You can't have any dairy in the desserts. You can't have, for example, ice cream comes to mind. And so he gets it in his head. That uh, it's very important to develop some kind of substitute a dairy um, for free, dairy, dairy. Dairy-free ice cream. Dairy-free dessert, dairy-free ice cream. And uh, after a long time of experimentation, during which he said he clogged up every drain in the area. With soy milk. Yes, and, and other things. Which is kind
0: of amazing. He, he even thought to use soy milk.
1: He was uh, a pioneer. But he
0: finds out from a hippie.
1: Tofu is the way to go. And he develops tofu. And he develops... Uh, an ice cream using tofu, which after fussing with it for quite some time is apparently very emulsified. appealing. Yeah, emulsify with. I know you're like... the ice cream expert, and the, the dessert becomes called Tofuti. Tofuti, which we remember, we remember tofuody. Did a you ever product. eat it? Oh yeah, I've had tofuti. I think I don't know. I don't think but, I've had it, but uh, it was very widely distributed, and it was. A I little... like tofu.
0: I like ice cream. Yeah. I I didn't need I think you
1: can buy to You can buy Tefudi now. Yeah. All okay. Right. So but it was initially it was uh you know, distributed by Zablores and people like that. And uh it became uh you know, the Bell cow product and it was, uh, it was quite a big deal. So um he became he makes a uh, zillion dollars. Made bean curd cool, according to the Times, and that's quite uh, that's quite true. He remained religious. He just passed away, as we said. He was uh, he used to communicate through his brother, the leader of the Lubavitcher Hasidic movement, uh, and um, apparently he contributed quite a bit of money on a regular basis. He would go to the rabbi, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, on a regular basis for advice, and apparently he did ask him advice at one point. Uh, as to whether he, once his east side restaurant was closed down to make the room for Trump Tower, uh, Trump Plaza, whether he should open on the west side. And uh, the rabbi says to him, get a pencil paper, write this down. It's very important. Here's my advice. And the rabbi says, absolutely not. You should continue with your experiments with the power of, which means kosher, ice cream, and God will help you to be very successful. And the rabbi was right. So- well, he says, he
0: says, if... If you build a new restaurant on the west side, God will not help you. Isn't that what he says? Uh, You may have read something I did. No,
1: the quote is what I gave
0: you. This is is a better story than you said.
1: I don't think so, honey. Um, He says, you should continue with All right, never mind. Yes, right. So, uh, now, uh, you might have read another article. I don't know. I don't know what you read. But the uh, fact matter oh, oh
0: well the, that was what he was trying to decide between yeah. the option to open the new right. restaurant or the option I think, to, uh, I said that. And yes. to yeah this is what right this is what God wants
1: right. interesting yes anyway um so we followed uh, God's advice as delivered by a rabbi Schneerson. but and he
0: sold that business a long time ago right yes
1: he did. Yeah uh and uh so that's one one very interesting obituary the other is a fellow named henry goldrich uh who uh owned a place called manny's which was a music store which initially uh was begun by his father some years before and uh you know they used to have like copyrighted music and things like that it was what music stores used to sell in the 30s and 40s and things like that uh as a matter of fact uh, there's a story here that famous uh, artists like Ella Fitzgerald used to patronize the place and they say Ella Fitzgerald babysat for Henry Goldrich when he was a young kid so
0: they sold music and instruments
1: they started to sell instruments but they didn't specialize in instruments uh, the way Henry did uh, later on Henry Henry got very into the idea of having the latest craze in terms of instruments in particular electric guitars at his place he would get the fancy stuff before Mm -hmm. other people got it and he got a tremendous reputation for it and as a result he was patronized By all the big rock stars in the 60s. When I say all the big rock stars in the 60s, I'm saying Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, John Sebastian, Harry Chapin, Paul Simon, James Taylor, you know, Pink Floyd. I go on and on. It's unbelievable the list of these people who came. And he became kind of blase about it. I mean, he was happy to have these folks as customers to be sure. Uh, But at the same time, they made a point that, you know, he was running his business. So uh, this fellow says, you know, he recalls being in there when Bob Dylan was there. And he turned to Dylan and said, just sit sit down for a minute. I'll be with you in a minute. (laughs) So that's the way uh, Goldrich ran the place. So that's cool. That's fine. As a matter of fact, they say there was one Black Friday, Black Friday being the Friday after Thanksgiving in 1985, Where, you know, the store is going to be crowded because it's a big shopping day. And he's got a thousand people there. And who walks in but Mick Jagger and David Bowie. And he goes up there and he says to them, what are you guys doing here today? Of all (laughs) days, you can't move in here. And you guys are creating a real headache for me. Tell me what you want quickly so I can get you the heck out of there. So that's the way uh, he was. He he, uh, had a, uh, a sort of a wall of fame. That he had, uh, you know, all these famous people would sign photos of themselves with their, the instruments that they bought there. And they do have a quote from James Taylor saying, you know, listen, it wasn't the same thing as getting a Grammy, but it was a pretty big deal to mm-hmm. get on, on the wall of fame of Manny's. And that really uh, meant something to me. And they also have a funny story where he's um, talking to uh, uh, the great uh, violinist, Hach Perlman at one point, who's, who went to buy an electric violin. And he says, to Goldrich, I'd like a discount." <laughs>
0: and well, he tries
1: to haggle with him. He haggles with him, right? With and and, 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 and yes,
0: Goldrich says, "I don't do that."
1: Well, Goldrich uh, said to uh, Perlman, "He says, you know, uh, what do you ask me to do? Do you ever reduce your performance fee? Do you haggle on your performance fee?" And uh, you know, Perlman said, uh, "Well, that's different. I'm a talent." And Goldrich said, well, I'm sort of a talent, too. And they said, when asked about his musical ability, Goldrich would often demur, I play cash register. So uh, there you go. Uh, so that's a pretty fascinating place. Again, gone for some years. But uh, Manny's is no longer with us. Well, good news. What's that? In terms
0: of architecture. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: the uh, Biden revokes order on civic Architecture in the waning days of his presidency, uh, Donald Trump issued a, a um, order promoting beautiful federal civic architecture. It praised Greco-Roman architecture as being beautiful while describing modern modernist designs as ugly and inconsistent. Okay, um, so they were banning. Uh, well, uh, they were. Uh, uh, discouraging um, anything right. but. Uh, the most
1: conventional architecture, architecture you can for find. Federal buildings. Right, right. everything okay. was supposed it's to look a... like a bank or something.
0: Okay, and everybody thought this was a stupid idea, okay?
1: Oh, almost everybody. Well,
0: I guess the Trump uh, people did not. Um, but uh, it, Michael Kimmelman, the architectural critic for the New York Times, Uh, had condemned the measure when it was discussed, saying just to have this argument feels demeaning. Okay, And uh, by overturning this order, the Biden administration has restored communities with the freedom of design choice that is essential to designing federal buildings that best serve the public. Okay. Uh, So I I think that's good news. I think to uh, just, uh, you know, at at certain times in history that, uh, you know, that Greco-Roman neoclassical style meant certain things and fine and those buildings are grand and fun and they are what they are. But we, you know, there's no question that there are more Terrific ideas. Yeah, out you know, there.
1: it is funny. It, it's funny. It never struck me until I listening to you just now. But it's it's one thing to uh, things change, and there are different styles, and you would embrace the new styles at the same time doesn't mean the old styles were a bad idea they were they were they were at the time that they they existed right yeah and this so, and the, and there are fabulous reworkings right, over time right. you but, know it doesn't mean,
0: mean whether it's in the renaissance or the beaux arts right. or whatever uh great fine but to slavishly stick to right uh yeah. a, a certain. there's thing. no reason
1: to slavishly stick to it but i think what the maybe the, the folks who are supporting the trump directive didn't get it's no insult to the older buildings it's no insult to the older buildings to build a building that doesn't look like those buildings. You know, those well, buildings were uh, what people thought they wanted to put up at the time, right? The uh,
0: nasty sort of—I don't know what you would call it—kind of backstory, not backstory, but the this kind of understory yeah. of all this is the idea that you know the this white supremacist idea that you know, sort of Aryan ideals, that anything great, uh, every, all that, uh, how should I put this, that uh, the only great uh, art and traditional architecture, architecture is from, you know, is that Western... Well, but that's, uh, do know, people seriously Greco- believe that? that, that
1: do people seriously voice that? People do. Do they? Um,
0: yeah, the, as they claim
1: well that's dumb i
0: mean i don't even like to talk about it it's such an ugly idea to but me but it, it that, is that, but i think that, be, i think there's
1: a lesser there's another there's a group that's in a much more much less intellectual place about the whole thing and that's they grew up used to this one thing and they're used to one thing and they say that's what a building ought to look like i mean i think there is that the, but uh, in any event there's no reason to have that point of view
0: well it, it is funny whenever societies get uh, societies or institutions get uh, kind of uh,
1: conservative right
0: they go to the past and cling to the past. Well, of course. You know? Of course. And uh, so... Uh, and,
1: and when you said whenever they get conservative, they're all conservative. Any... any, uh, The existing you know powers that be are always conservative. They're in their nature conservative. And and uh, there's... You have to make an argument and make people comfortable about moving on. Uh, and you have to be open to listening about the uh, virtues of moving on.
0: And as you said, that doesn't mean you obliterate
1: no. the past. No. Um, so we're not going to talk about Dr. Seuss. But yeah. That's what it means. So, um... Here's something, here's something which is, doesn't make any sense. But, uh, you know, because in the spirit of being open, open to new things, there's an organization that's called Overtime Elite, who feels that, you know, what would be a good idea. Let's find the top 30 high school basketball players age 16 and 17 and uh, pull them out of school, or at least offer them the opportunity to leave school. And by that, I mean, not only college, but high school and uh, make them professional players at the age of 16 and 17. Let's pay them hundred thousand dollars a year. And, that
0: seems wrong on so many levels.
1: Yeah, and except economically, because the question is, and I, I there's a question about economically, but if that's the one thing these guys have thought long and hard about, and they feel if they were to corral the top thirty, uh, what's top, let's call them the top thirty high school basketball players in the nation who are destined to great for great things, and pay them in the nature of hundred thousand a year, they would have a product that they could market. And that, too, is a question mark. But uh, if they were right about that, uh, then it might actually happen. Wait a minute. When you say
0: they, is that the league overtime, overtime, overtime elite. Overtime elite. That's the
1: organization. The organization's overtime elite. They're the people who are going to hire the players. But
0: what happens to the poor, poor kids? They earn a few hundred thousand dollars. right? And then, and then they, they go what to do the, they do next?
1: They become NBA players.
0: And if that doesn't work out,
1: then the, so the, they're, they're not
0: all going to become NBA players.
1: Well... They're not all going to become NBA players. so They,
0: they don't have education. Well,
1: they're, they're going to structure these payments in such a way that, first of all, they're going to make sure they get their high school at uh, GRE, number one, they say. And number two, they say that they'll structure their payment in such a way that they'll have college scholarship available or money for college available uh, if it doesn't work out and down the line they want to go to college.
0: I'm not saying college is the only way to go. Right. Okay. But aren't uh, there are many, many, many stories of uh, professional athletes right uh, having a hard time right? You know, but here's what you have to ask yourself after.
1: All right, listen, I'm, I'm not endorsing what these guys are doing, but I can make their case, and what they would say in response to what you're saying is that's what you got now. Okay, that what you now have is is guys, young kids. Who are killing themselves to start in high school, then killing themselves to make an impression in college, and if they don't make it, and many of them don't make it in the pros, they have nothing. That's what's going on right now, because they get paid nothing for high school and college. But this way, this way, they end up with a few hundred, a few hundred thousand dollars. They're
0: just kids, and this living on the road stuff. And
1: Uh, no, no, they would have them all. I can get into the details that they would respond to some of your points. They would all be in one location. They wouldn't be on the road and. Uh, they, they have responses to a lot of this. I'm not saying they're fully uh, satisfactory responses, but let me, let me give you the closest analog. The closest analog is junior hockey in Canada. So junior hockey in Canada, you do take kids who are 16 years old and put them into junior hockey, which is semi-professional hockey. That's what it is. All
0: right, it's fine that they do that. Does it, does it, does it work out? Uh,
1: it works out for a lot of people in the NHL.
0: Really? Yeah. well I'm wondering about the people again who okay.
1: don't quite yes make it. it's on an event look it's it's by a, I'm not saying it's a great idea uh I'm not saying it's not controversial but it's being endorsed even by some NBA players including one of your favorites uh, Carmelo Anthony uh, who says uh, this is a good idea Calling, going to college and playing basketball is what it is he says it never will change uh overtime elite doesn't want to disrupt that. Uh, but it gives these kids an opportunity because they get to take control of their own brands. Why not embrace that? It comes from you know where it comes from. It comes from the idea that these kids are being exploited now.
0: I I understand, and, 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 it's, and not it's not like I to... have some romantic idea that they're having a, some fabulous uh, scholar athlete existence. Right, right, okay, right. Um, nonetheless, uh, sixteen. I don't know.
1: All right. All right, but it, 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 you, you can see it coming. It's like the, the story we talked about a couple of weeks ago about the minor league players uh, who are financed by this private equity organization who say to them, we'll give you $100,000, $200,000, and you give us 8% of your earnings in the future as a major league baseball player. Mm. It's the same idea. All
0: right. Money, money, money. Yeah. Well, just when you thought where the conversation will get beyond neoclassicism, we're back. Yes, okay. And, uh, I never
1: thought, I just want to say, I never thought the conversation would get beyond neoclassicism.
0: An article uh, in the Masterpiece uh, column, by Harold Holzer in the Wall Street Journal, Monumental Error in the Making. And uh, he's writing about a, a um, sculpture that... Um, the Republic... Mm-hmm. Um, from 1918 by Daniel Chester French. Now you know French, he right. did the massive monumental Lincoln Lincoln, yeah, and sure. Lincoln Memorial that we all love. Uh, and uh, anyway, um, late last month, a municipal panel in Chicago, okay, included the Republic. On a list of 41 public sculptures subject for review and perhaps removal for promoting narratives of white supremacy or racism, um, presenting a selective, oversimplified view of history. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this uh, painting is uh, of a woman, okay?
1: It's a painting or a sculpture? I mean, sculpture.
0: Yeah. Uh, I misspoke. Uh, and uh, originally, uh, um, it was in the Chicago. French was yeah. uh, commissioned right. Chicago in Fair. Uh, like 1891 yeah. uh, to uh, do this massive representation, you know, uh, personification of uh, the Republic as a woman for the uh, um, this uh, Chicago
1: World's Fair. Um, it was in the 30s, I think. Oh, no, it was before that. What are you talking in, about? It was, nice it was and 1893. It was, okay. uh, well, the U.S. World, uh, the New York World's Fair was in the 30s. Okay,
0: now this is uh, the Chicago, uh, right. the Columbian Exposition, you know, the celebrating Columbus, right. like 1492, get it? It was supposed to be 1892, but uh, they ran over. Okay. All right. So anyway, so um, French gets the commission, builds this massive—we're talking sixty-five foot high statue that ends up on top of a thirty-five foot base. Okay, and uh, you know it's it's supposed to like evoke you know have all the power of like uh, the Statue of Liberty, Liberty. right? Okay. He he didn't do
1: the Statue of Liberty, did he? No, he did not. Okay.
0: Um, So anyway. Uh, moving right along. This is made of, it wasn't made, it wasn't,
1: it well, wasn't. This is my stoned. question. What? Why did they make it of a substance that wouldn't last?
0: Everything for that fair was fake. It's very typical for um, even the buildings for these world expositions to be made out of, you know, just plaster of Paris. Really? Yeah. And so they all disintegrate. And some of them become greatly beloved. Buildings or statues or whatever, and sometimes they're remade Mm. in real material um, later. But most of them just uh, disintegrate. Mm. And uh, anyway, so this is uh, let me describe what it's made of. It's actually made of um, jute, okay, layers of burlap swathed in plaster of Paris, cement, and glycerin. Mm. Okay, she's coated with. Gold, all right, except for her face and arms, which were painted ivory. She had a wreath around her head with electric light bulbs, which blew everybody's mind in 1893 when they were lit up, okay? Uh, She um, holds a couple of, uh, you know, um, representational, she holds a, a globe, that is surmounted by an eagle and a liberty pole. Okay, so she's she's quite impressive. Uh, some 26 million people visited the fair in 1893. You know, most of them probably saw her. She was also called Big Mary or Golden Lady. All right, so anyway... The, the whole fairgrounds as impressive. And talk about neoclassical. That is where, you know, the neoclassical style really makes a huge impression. Just as, about, just as New York is making these streamlined, uh, you know, almost uh, by comparison, space-age skyscrapers are coming into style. Um, the um, Chicago style here is this neoclassical um, style for the fair, uh, they called um, filled with gleaming white buildings. It was called the White City. Um, and anyway, uh, I should mention that French was paid about fifteen thousand dollars to build this statue, mm. and that would be about seven hundred thousand oh. uh, dollars in our money today. Uh, anyway, fair's The fair uh, is a huge success. Once it's over. Everything just falls apart. Mm. And by uh, 1896, the statue has burned to the ground. Mm. Who knows exactly how. But fortunately, um, he had the plaster models and he sold uh, copies. Um, And this one uh, was uh, sold to Illinois. It was to commemorate the centennial of the Illinois statehood, all right, dedicated in 1918. And it was only 24 feet high as opposed Mm. to the original 65. Mm. But uh, recently, 1993, fairly recently, um, was regilded with 24,000 sheets of gold leaf and sits in a traffic circle Mm. in Chicago. Um, And uh, anyway, it was declared a national landmark uh, in uh, 2003. Uh, but uh, you know, should Chicago take it down? The only vestige of the Columbian Exposition's one-time wonder of the world would it be an even smaller version made to adorn a fountain well, inside? The a article doesn't, doesn't
1: give a clue as to why it would be taken down. So I, we can't even discuss that because we don't even understand what the rationale would be. So whatever. well,
0: again, it was made to evoke. Uh, it was made. Um, it, back in the day, yeah. like the ancient Greek day yeah. in the temples, yeah. they had enormous sculptures of the gods and goddesses, like a huge right. Zeus, huge Pallas Athena. So it was meant to, again, hark back right, but that to that style that and those ideals.
1: Yeah, but that doesn't uh, give us any clue as to why anyone wants to take it down.
0: No, and in fact, you're you're right. When you read the article, you said you know um, there there's you know there's no no clue. There's a, it, well is there it? there's no hints that anybody would
1: find this particularly right. offensive. Well, there, there may be a thought out there that's just not. But article. in
0: general, the what he's calling iconoclasm, this destruction of all this public art, is a little offensive.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, look, maybe they won't take it down. It's just on the list. Somebody's got a list. Keep
0: the art. Continue the conversation. Yeah. You don't try to obliterate.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, Well, especially in this case. So the final thing we have is uh, something just, you know, seems not controversial. Um, Turns out it is. Uh, Police enlist robotic dog and skeptics bark. So it turns out the uh, New York City police have a, a dog called Digidog. Not really a dog. It's a robot. It's 70 pounds. The New
0: York City please? Yeah.
1: Really? It's 70 pounds. And uh, what it does is it moves with a loping gait like a dog, but it's got a whole bunch of cameras and lights affixed to its frame and has a sophisticated communication system it can see in the dark. And what they do is they send it out on specific missions when, in fact, they don't want to come in with guns blazing, but they want a little intelligence before they see what the story is. And uh, based on that information, they can move a little more intelligently. There's an example here of two men being held hostages in a Bronx apartment. One manages to escape. Rather than come in and knock down the door, they send uh, the police send the dog in. They're able to determine that in fact the uh, person left is tied up, but the folks who had taken him hostage have fleed, so they're able to come in without gunfight. How, how did the and dog get in? I don't know, but the dog does very well. Uh, apparently, using the gait of uh, a dog is is a better way to get through a lot of areas than having wheels. Wheels, you know, you can topple if you're but on yeah, wheels. but
0: even so, I mean, trying to get into like a
1: It's a digi dog. I don't know, Tamsin. I don't is this,
0: this dog knock on the door. They, don't they let have, it in because it's a dog.
1: You know, look. And they, how
0: did it how does it even survive anyway? Wouldn't you if you if you saw some robot thing coming off? You know, I don't care if it's a bunny wabbit. You know, wouldn't you just shoot the hell out of it?
1: Listen, it's uh, the point here of the article is not that, uh, you know, how well it does when it's shot at. It's it's made by a company called Boston Dynamics. If you get on their website, they have all kinds of they have a big dog. They have a little dog. They have this kind of robot. They have that kind of robot. We can get into that. But uh, this is what this is my plan. What is your plan? I think we should get one of these. I, they're not usually sold as pets. There are No, a, no,
0: no. I think we should get one and yeah. we can have it chase the deer away from the flowers. It would be and very plants. effective
1: at chasing the deer. It okay. might not be the most cost effective solution, but it would be effective. We could probably do better. If we put a speaker outside, we could probably do just as well and it would be cheaper. Uh, we the, can the, talk. The about deer this.
0: never listen to me when I talk. No, I don't no, think no. it's about speaking. You play music or something. Well, I want to. Play some know, of that
1: jazz you don't like. A it's, dog,
0: you yeah. know. Leaping at, but here's charging the issue. At these issue.
1: I'm trying to get to the issue, Tam. The, the issue is this. All just seems like a win-win. You know, it's a way to avoid I violence. I not any
0: of it that seems like a win-win. But yeah. go on, if go it's on.
1: effective. But it, apparently, uh people object to it. Uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez (AOC) says that uh, this is robotic surveillance ground drone is objectionable. Ask yourself, she says. When was the last time you saw a next-generation world-class technology for education, healthcare, housing, et cetera, uh, which should be prioritized for underserved communities? Uh, so she doesn't like the dog. Uh, some people feel that it's sort of drone-like. It's, it's an interference with privacy. The folks who make it at Boston Dynamics say it doesn't really – there's no secret about it. It's not creeping around quietly. Uh, it's designed to avoid firefights, but it's got—it's noisy. It has flashing lights. It's not discreet. It—it's it's not. Uh, you I mean, know. it
0: doesn't go around and look in the windows.
1: No, <laughs> it doesn't. But uh,
0: I think, I'm not sure about that. If you wanted to um, see what was going on in the house, wouldn't it be?
1: Easier to see. I send. guess you could. Listen, AOC it has is, cameras and it's. Right. Yeah. AOC is not the only one who's objecting. I don't want to put her out I on the limb here. I
0: think the criminals would have a heart attack if they saw the robotic is,
1: door yeah. dog yeah. at the Well, window. that would be a plus, though. Jay Stanley is a senior policy analyst with the AC, uh, American Civil Liberties Union says he worries a little bit about robots doing police work and, you know, uh, privacy, privacy, privacy. I don't know. You wouldn't think it's a big deal. I think there are a total of three dogs like this in the United States. But it's enough. It's enough to create some kind of concern. Um so uh, we'll see. I mean, it feels like we've had more that's political where discussion. Our tax
0: dollars are going. I think mm-hmm. that's a good
1: use of tax dollars. Really? Not mine. We don't. We don't pay New York City taxes. I we mean, we used to when yes. you uh, were working was, in New yeah, York. Yeah, it was before the dog. But <laughs> it, it, when do you think
0: the dog was made? Like,
1: it was made yeah. in Boston. I keep telling you, it was made in Boston.
0: But they, they I'm telling you, they
1: ordered the dog a few years so ago. You can't. You can get one of these dogs in six weeks order. You just get it on Amazon. You get All yourself right. a dog. So here's the final thing I meant to mention. Really. To you. There's one final thing. Not
0: on my list.
1: It shows you everything gets tied together. So you're probably wondering, uh, what's the story with this, this guy, uh, Michael Hassanah Uh, he and his wife, Bernice, uh, uh Bernice, uh, Beho, uh, have they continued making movies with Jean Dujardin? What have their career been like in the last 10 years? And the truth is not much except they made a movie in 2020, in 2020, right? That's pretty recently. uh, Again, with him as the director, uh, with Berenice as the female star. Except the male star uh, in this movie called The Lost Prince was not Deshaun Dujardin. It was Omar Sy.
0: Ah, Lupin.
1: Lupin, which tells you we are now in the world where we are just, there are only three or four French actors and we run into them all And the we time. know all three. <laughs> we all know three. <laughs> I mean, that's how narrow our perspective is. So that's the only, if you can't get Jean Dujardin, you can only choose the other guy we know, which is Omar Asai. Uh That was not a successful movie. But in any event, maybe they'll get back together with Jean. Uh, and we'll get back together with you next week. This is Tamsin Green And Dan Abuhoff. With Tamsin and Dan, read the paper. See you
0: then.